All right, while those are going out, can everybody hear me in the back? Hunter? While those are going out, I want to just kind of pick everybody up. Last week, we started a, it's, it's really going to be a few weeks, a series. We're going to go through church leadership. We're going to study through this as a local church of what the Bible says about church leadership. And Ryan really gave us like a sky-high overview of this last week of really, really high up of who the leaders are in the local church, what they're called, what their qualifications are. And the next two weeks, we're going to dive into well, what do they do? What do church leaders do? And I'm going to cover part one of this this week. And today we're going to look at church leaders teach the Word of God. And then Ryan's going to come right behind me next week for part two of what do church leaders do. And they're going to, he's going to teach church leaders shepherd the flock. Alright, so here's where we're going. What do church leaders do? Today we're going to look at they teach the Word of God. And I want to just spend some time on the front end. I want to encourage you with some things, okay? What we're looking at today, it needs to be concrete, firm in your mind. And what I mean by that, there's actually, you know, some visitors today of, of you're here with family, and, and, and this is for you. This is good truth for you. But I also want to say to the members of Grace Community Church, sometimes we have these little funny ideas that we're all going to grow old together in, in Jackson, Mississippi. And that is simply not going to happen. There will be members consistently moving out from this church. Life's going to happen. The mission of God is going to happen. And so I want this to be firm in your mind of what's supposed to happen when a leader of a church stands in front of you with the Bible. I want this to be firm in your mind. Okay, we've seen Nick and Mo leave this church. We've seen other people leave this church. Today, we're going to get a chance to pray for MJ. It'll be his last Sunday among us. You, some of you will leave, and you need to know what standard God commands you as a church member to hold your leaders to. Okay, And why, why do I say that? Because we are surrounded in our area by something, I'm going to refer to this probably several times today as fluffy Bible teaching. And the reason that that got propagated all over this region is church members just like you and me tolerated it. They tolerated it from their leaders. They tolerated soft, fluffy Bible teaching. So I want this to be concrete in our minds. Of, of We have to get this right. What is supposed to happen when a leader in a local church stands before the church and opens the Word of God. Our text today is going to be 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 13 through 16. So I want you to turn there. We're going to read them together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. We're going to read this and then we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to bless our time together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 says this. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Let's pray. Let's pray over this passage. Father, we come to You today in the name of Jesus. 
And we just proclaim to You, Lord, all glory be to You, Christ Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for making us Your own. Thank You, God, that we know You. That we have been purchased, Lord, and bought by Your blood, by Your precious blood, Lord. We know You through the death of Christ. And God, as a church and as disciples of Jesus today, we just want to tell You, Lord, we want to fall under Your authority. And I just amen that prayer that was prayed earlier. Lord Jesus, we want to be humble disciples. And we just tell You, Lord, that Your ways are better than ours. And Your thoughts are right and ours are wrong, Lord. And we want to come under Your authority. We want to bow down before You, King Jesus. And so as Your disciples, Lord, we just ask You, God, teach us how to think, Lord. We ask, God, that by the power of Your Spirit, You will plant Your truth in our souls. God, make it a part of who we are. Lord, help us to think right things about You, right things about Your church. And we just pray, God, that You would do just what You said You would do, Lord. That You would sanctify us by Your truth, Lord. Do that today. Do that among us. God, sanctify us by Your truth. And God, I pray for those hearing this Word, God, that You're raising up as preachers of Your Word. God, I pray that You'd encourage them today. God, I pray you fix things firmly in their mind today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, today we read 13 through 16, but we're going to zone in on one verse of Scripture today. Alright, one verse. Verse 13. We're going to zone in on this. This is the only thing we're going to cover, so we're going to unpack it. We want to squeeze this thing like a sponge. We want to linger over this verse. We want to learn everything we can possibly learn that the Holy Spirit would have to say to us from verse 13. John MacArthur calls this verse. He says, this is the foundational verse for pastoral Ministry, And I'm going to argue from this verse of Scripture that the ultimate responsibility of every leader in a local church is to preach the Word of God. I'm going to argue that from verse 13. But before we dive in, before we dive into this, I want to set the stage, okay? I want, to, I want it to be very clear in your mind that this is not an optional thing. That every leader... And the local church is required to teach the Word of God. I want this to be concrete in your mind. In your mind. We'll talk about why in a minute. But let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. These are the qualifications of church leadership. And Ryan touched on this last week. But I'm going I'm to rip one thing out of these qualifications. I'm going to read it to you. 1 Timothy 3, 2 tells us that church leaders must be... And then it says, able to teach. The Bible teaches that leaders in a local church are required to be able to stand in front of the people of God and use the Scriptures and teach the Scriptures in such a way that the church receives edification and profit. That has, ha that has to happen. He must be that type of man. And then listen to this, because Titus takes it a step further than that. Titus chapter 1, same qualifications. Verse 9, we read this. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So what that verse just added is not only must leaders in the local church be able to teach the Word of God, they have to. They are required by God to be able to go to war against sound doctrine in the church with the Bible. Okay, These are the qualifications. If they cannot do that, 
They are not qualified to lead in the church of Jesus, no matter how nice of a man they are, no matter how good of a businessman they are. Okay? No matter how much financial wisdom or, or worldly experience they bring to the table, if they cannot do that, they are disqualified. Okay? And the reason I highlight that over and over and over again is in our culture, we have churches that have 50, 60 people staffs with 30 pastors with very few of these men who are qualified to do what we just read. They are disqualified according to the Word of God. If you cannot handle the Bible, you have no business attaching the word pastor to your name. That is not a mean thing. That is a Bible thing. These are requirements. And so we want to be disciples of Jesus that start holding up that standard. That these really are requirements. They're not suggestions. They're not options. They are requirements. He must be able to teach the Word of God and to contradict false doctrine with sound doctrine. Jesus expects leaders in His church to do this, to teach His Word. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. Read to you verse 11 and 12. Jesus gives gifts to His church in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. The last gift in that list is shepherd teachers. <clears throat> now, if you read that in the English translation, it sounds like two things, but they're not. Most of your Bibles will give you a footnote. They're sandwiched together. They're one thing. They're shepherd teachers. Okay. Now, why did Jesus give those shepherd teachers to His church? Verse 12 tells you, it says this. Jesus gives shepherd teachers to His church. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so our job as church leaders is not to entertain, not to push programs down the road. Our job as church leaders, Jesus appointed us to this role to do what? To equip. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And how do we do that? We feed the flock the Word of God. This is the equipping ministry of church leadership. Three times in John 21, Jesus looks at Peter, a leader in His church, three times and Jesus stares him in the face and He says, Feed my lambs. And then He says, Tend my sheep. And then He turns and says it again, In case you forgot, you, what you're supposed to be about on this planet is you feed my sheep. Okay? So that's the foundation laid that church leaders are supposed to be teaching the Word of God in the church. Are we clear there? Okay? Now, this happens in many different ways. Here's what I mean by that. It happens from in public and it happens from house to house. That's Acts 20 20. Okay? It happens in season, it happens out of season. That's 2 Timothy 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. But something that we're going to zone in on, laser beam focus on today, is that the main way that this plays out is when leaders of the church stand in front of the church on the Lord's Day and preach the Word of God to the church gathered corporately. That's where we're going, laser beam focus. The main way that this teaching ministry plays out is exactly what we're doing right now. So let's read verse 13 again. Verse 13 says, Until I come, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Alright? The first thing I want to do 
is I want to show you that that verse is talking about the corporate gathering of the church. And here's what I mean by that. Timothy is not told to devote himself to reading as in the verb. Like, Timothy, what you really need to be doing is you really need to be devouring things, reading things. That's not what he's told to do. He's not told to devote himself to teaching as in the verb. Okay, He's actually told to devote himself to the teaching. There's a, there's a word right in front of those three words, and it's the word the. And every one of those three words, they're not verbs, they're nouns. Okay, And so this is getting at something very, very specific in Timothy's life. You need to understand this. This is, this is so important. Timothy is to devote himself, not just to any reading. The reading, Timothy. Devote yourself to the reading. Timothy is to devote himself, not just to any teaching. Okay? The teaching, that one, that's the one you devote yourself to. Not just any exhortation, Timothy, the exhortation. Okay? Very, very specific. These three words are a description of the public ministry of the Word of God in the weekly gathering of the church. And Timothy is commanded to devote himself to these things. Devote himself. That's how important God says what we're doing right now is. Timothy is to devote himself to the public ministry of the Word of God. So, throw this point in your mind. Very early in church history, and by early I mean while the Apostle Paul is still alive, the New Testament pattern for local churches is that they would meet together every week and the church leaders would stand before the church and read the Word of God, explain the Word of God, and apply the Word of God. And they were to be devoted to that. And here's, here's what I want to highlight. I want to highlight that preaching is not, oh, you should do it, and, and you don't have to do it, but you know it's probably a good idea if you do it. Okay, Preaching is a necessity in a local church. And the reason I highlight that is in the last decade or so, in our generation, the, the house church movement has picked up a lot of steam in America, right? And I just want to say this. It is a perfect, perfectly biblical thing for a group of people to meet in a house as the church of Jesus. Perfectly biblical, okay? No, no bones to pick with that. Unfortunately, unfortunately, a lot of times, the majority of times, there's an idea that's married to this house church movement that downplays the preaching of the Word of God. And in the midst of this generation that is beginning to downplay preaching, I want this to be firm in your mind. This is not an option that some people have. This is to be devoted to in every local church. So drill this in. Drill this in. It is not the plan of Jesus for a group of disciples to meet together once a week and have a little discussion about the Word of God. That is not the, the plan of Jesus. That's a good thing. That is not His plan for the corporate gathering of the church. The plan of Jesus from the very beginning is that the church would gather together and that the leaders of the church would stand before the church and preach the Word of God. This is rooted not in the Reformation, not in the ideas of man. This is rooted in Bible. In fact, this is a command. If you don't do this, you disobey this command. We are to devote ourselves to the reading, the teaching, and the exhortation. Preaching is necessary. Okay, it's not an option. But I want to clarify one more thing. 
We need to qualify what kind of preaching that we're talking about is necessary, right? Because there's a lot flying around in our culture, a lot a flavor of preaching that has zero to do with what we just read about in verse 13. Okay? Paul is commanding Timothy to preach the Word of God. And we're, and we're going to say that all Christian preaching that doesn't take its message start to finish from the Bible is not Christian preaching. Okay? We're going to say that. I know that's risky. We're going to say that. Now, it might floor you that not everybody agrees with what I just said. Not everybody agrees that all Christian preaching should take its message start to finish from the Bible. And you say, what are you talking about? This is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. Okay? You need to know that you live in a world that many people who stand up and speak for Jesus, they give lip service to the Word of God. What I mean by that? I mean, you look at the doctrinal statement of their church and they say, we believe the Bible is the inerrant Word of God. The only rule of faith and practice. And then a man stands up and he shoves worldly wisdom for 35 minutes straight down the church's throat. That is lip service to the Word of God. That is not the kind of preaching that Paul is commanding Timothy to devote himself to in this verse. So I want you to be aware of this. And I'm going to categorize this unfaithful preaching. I'm going to categorize it under this title called seeker-sensitive preaching. Okay? If you've never heard of these things, I want you to be aware of them. They're like gangrene in this culture. Listen to a few quotes from the leaders of this movement. Not everybody agrees that all Christian preaching should start to finish be Bible. It's a guy named Bill Hybels, the leader of the seeker-sensitive church movement. He says, open quote, Unchurched people today are the ultimate consumers. We may not like it, but for every sermon we preach, they're asking, am I interested in the subject or not? And if they aren't, it doesn't matter how effective our delivery is, their minds are going to check out. And if you were to go on and read that, his solution is blatantly obvious. Because they're not interested in what we have to say, their minds are going to check out what, what should we do. And his obvious conclusion is that we should, we should talk about what they want to hear. That we should talk about something that interests them. Okay, This makes me want to barf, to be honest with you. All right? I, I want to give you an example of this. I thought about this. Okay, Y'all track with me. So, about a month ago, okay, I'm preaching on the curse-bearing death of Jesus. And we came through the Gospel of Mark, and we come to the climax of the Gospel. And we're sitting, and Jesus is hanging on His cross. This is the blazing center of the glory of God, the pinnacle of all the revelation, everything that God has done. We're at the highest of the high. And I'm sitting here preaching about the death of Jesus. I'm glorying in my Savior and what He's done for me. And in that moment, I look up and two people are flat asleep here. And don't feel bad. They're not here today. I'm not picking on, <laughs> picking on anybody today. They're, they're, they're visitors. I'm trying, to get in, I'm trying to get you to understand this. Okay? They are flat asleep. Now, Romans chapter 1 tells me that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. 
And so when I preach about the things of Jesus, I'm trusting God that every time that that happens, I'm throwing the dynamite out. The only message that can raise sinners from the dead. And I look up and he is flat asleep. Both of them, they're flat asleep. Okay. And so what Bill Hybels tells me I need to do in that moment, what you need to do, because they're checking out, no matter what you say, they're checking out. Instead of just keeping shoving the dynamite in and asking God, open their eyes, wake them up, open their eyes, Lord. Bill Hybels says what you really need to do is you need to stick that dynamite in your back pocket and you need to pull out these Tic Tacs and these jokes and these stories and, and tell them how to put some practical things into play in their life and tell them how to make their, their bank account more efficient or their marriage work better and get their attention and then draw them into the church and then you got them. And then you got them. This is worldly wisdom. This is the seeker model. Listen to Rick Warren. The ground we have in common with unbelievers is not the Bible, but our common needs, our hurts, and our interests as human beings. And then he says, you cannot start with a text. I had to pray and ask God to help me to not be angry all morning long when I preach about these things, when I come against these things. That man just said that you cannot start with a text. He really said that. He really said that. You can't start your sermon with a text of Scripture. That kind of thinking right there is more pervasive in your culture than you ever dreamed of. Than you ever dreamed of. Rick Warren again. One reason... Sermon study is so difficult for many pastors is because they ask the wrong question. Instead of asking, what shall I preach on this Sunday? They should be asking, to whom will I be preaching? Simply thinking through the needs of the audience will help determine God's will for the message. People's immediate needs are a key to where God would have you begin speaking on that particular Situation, and I say again, barf in my mouth. That is disgusting. Listen, that reminds me verbatim of this passage of Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. I want that verse to sober you up about fluffy Bible teaching. And here's what's at stake. When a man stands in front of the church and speaks for Jesus, in Jesus' name, and he defaults to tricks and gimmicks and jokes and worldly wisdom, that man is usurping the authority of King Jesus over his church. And I want you to know this. That man is full of pride. And you might say, well, man, I know a lot of people who are fluffy Bible teachers. And I'm telling you, they are filled with pride. And you say, why? Because that man believes that his words are more entertaining, are more powerful, are more catchy than the words of God Himself. How in the world can you be more prideful than that? Fluffy Bible teaching usurps the authority of Jesus over His church. This is not the kind of preaching that we're going after week after week at Grace Community Church. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
We are committed to a type of preaching that allows God to speak to His church instead of man. And when the Word of God is preached in this way, it carries the authority and the power of God Himself. Do you understand that? When a man speaks the Word of God, he's operating in the power. That's where the power for the church is. That's where power for salvation is. That we're seed sowers. We have no power in ourselves. We preach the Word of God. Now there are many different definitions of the way to describe this, but historically, this kind of preaching has been called expository preaching. This is the kind of preaching that we're going after every single week in this church. Now, there's, there's many different definitions to how people explain that, so I want you to let me carefully explain it to you so you'll know what I mean. Okay? We're not talking about a method here. We're not talking about, well, he does it this way and he does it this way. Okay? There are those. There's different methods. There are different ways to preach the Word. This is not a method. Okay, this determines if you are a faithful man of God or a fluffy Bible teacher, borderline false teacher of the Word of God. So I don't care if you ever look at somebody and say, you need, to, you need to do expository preaching. I don't care if you use the word expository, but I want you to be crystal clear, understanding the substance of what I'm talking about. Because it is non-negotiable. It has to be there. There is a right way and a wrong way to handle the Bible. Okay? We're going to unpack, this is the right way, the only way to handle it. So here's the definition. Expository preaching is most essentially preaching that exposes, expository preaching that exposes the Word of God. Exposing God's Word to God's people. The type of preaching... That a man stands in front of the church and the words of God are heard, not the words of man. That's expository preaching. So the ones that stand up and teach the church, they are actually supposed to say what Jesus said. I know that's a crazy idea in our culture, but they're really supposed to say what He said. And if you ignore that for long enough, that is the fastest way to become a fluffy, false teacher in the church of Jesus. Now, Expository preaching does not, does not necessarily mean walking through books of the Bible. Now, I will argue that that is a good idea. In fact, me and Ryan are both convinced that this is the, the most healthy way to, to lead local churches. But this is, this is not foundationally tied to the definition. Expository preaching is exposing the Word of God to the people of God, allowing God's Word to speak to His church. Rightly handling the Word of truth. That's another way to say it. I'll put some more meat on that definition. This is John MacArthur and the seminary that he started, Master Seminary. This is how they define expository preaching. You can write these four things down if they're helpful to you. Number one, the message must, must find its sole source in Scripture. The message must, must find its sole source in Scripture. And what that means is that you don't have a man pulling the bestsellers out of the Christian bookshelf and, and shoving what men say down your throat. This man is preaching the Word of God. Number two, the message must be extracted from Scripture through careful exegesis. That means a careful study of the passage. 
And what that means is that there's no such thing as faithful preaching without studying the Word of God. There's no such thing as a man standing up in front of the church and sharing a few things that he thought about last night. Okay, That is unfaithfully handling the Word of God. Number three, the message must correctly interpret Scripture and then clearly explain the original God-intended meaning of Scripture to the church. And then number four, the message must apply that scriptural meaning for today. And what that means is that the Word of God is living. We don't stand before the church and talk about what happened. We talk about what happened and why it bears down on us. It's a living, authoritative Word. So this is... This is, my, this is another definition of expository preaching. This is my favorite one. This is my favorite way to say it. Mark Dever says expository preaching is preaching in which the main point or points of a biblical text become the main point or points of the sermon being preached. Did you catch that? The point of the passage is the point of the sermon. That's how you know if a man is being faithful with the Word of God. And you say, what do you mean by that? I mean rightly handling the Word. It's not enough that somebody reads a verse and then talks about whatever he wants to talk about for 35 minutes. Okay? Or John MacArthur tells a story before he really encountered this. He tells a story about the first time he ever preached. He tells a story ashamed of these things. First time he ever stands in front of the church, he preaches on the resurrection of Christ. And his text for the day was the angel rolled the stones away. The stone away. His main point in the sermon was the angel that rolled the stones away can roll the stones away in your life. That was his main point of his sermon. Had nothing to do with what the text said. He, he distorted the Word of God and made it say what he wanted to say. That kind of preaching is spread like gangrene all over this area. Okay, you got you got a man stands up and he says, you know, uh, the the power of God. This is a this display of the power of God. The same God that rolled that stone away from the tomb will roll stones away in your life. And then you got all these all these fluffy Bible teachers and the, and the people that hear them. They're rolling around saying, "I'm so encouraged that that angel that rolled that stone. He's just going to roll these stones away from my life. I'm just so encouraged by that." And the word of God has been hijacked and it hasn't been faithfully delivered. This is unfaithful preaching. So, point of the passage, point of the sermon. This needs to be nailed down in your soul. Why? Because you're a church member. You are responsible before God to hold your leaders to this. And we don't just say preaching in a broad sense. You define it tightly so that a man cannot wiggle his way out of this. When he speaks for God, he must say what Jesus said. We cannot let leaders... Use the Bible to say what they want to say. The worst thing about the worst thing that you could ever hear as a Bible preacher is that is such a creative and an innovative man. That's not our job. In fact, that's really a bad warning sign. Creativity and innovation, that is not our job. We don't get new revelation from God. Okay? I'm not an... I, this might surprise you, me and Ryan. I hope it doesn't. We're not... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We're not writing more books of the Bible. 
Okay? They have been delivered. God has spoken a living word to His church. Our job is not to be creative or innovative. Our job is to get you the hot breath of God on the table as hot as possible. As fresh as possible. That's our job. Faithfully serving the Word of God to the church. So how this plays out at Grace Community Church. The main strategy that we have is to walk through books of the Bible cover to cover. Not every time, but the majority of the time that you come here, you are going to hear a sermon from a passage of Scripture while we are walking through books of the Bible. It's not the only way to do this, but we are convinced that this is the most healthy way to lead local churches. Let me give you some biblical reasons for why. Here's why. Acts 20, verse 20, tells us that our job as leaders in the church is to preach, quote-unquote, the whole counsel of God. Not just some of it. You give them all of it. You give them the whole counsel of God. The full revelation. Or another way to say that is Colossians chapter 1. Verse 25, our job is to make the Word of God fully known. Not kind of known, expose it all. Give them, the, give them all that was said. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. Now if I told you that your job was to read the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God, I can't imagine anybody in this room coming out of that charge. Your, your charge is to read the whole Bible. And the way that you go about doing that is you flip to a random verse in the Bible and you just read that verse every single day until you somehow make your way through the whole Bible. Almost every one of you would walk out with that charge. If you were going to do it, you would walk out with some sort of systematic plan of here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to chew through this book and then I'm going to go through this book and this book and I'm going to mark off this book and go through this book. We are convinced that the way... To preach the whole counsel of God to the church is just like what we're doing. Walking through books of the Bible. Getting the mind of God in books of Scripture. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, We cannot expect to deliver much of the teaching of Holy Scripture by picking out verse by verse at random. And then he says, Expository preaching is not as common as it should be. Now the thing that you've got to love about that it's these fluff balls. They're always appealing to Charles Spurgeon didn't preach through books of the Bible. Well, here's what they don't know. That almost every time Spurgeon preached, he preached twice. And the first thing he did was something called the exposition where he walks through just like what we're doing. And then he turns around and he gives something called a discourse. Spurgeon just said, you cannot expect to deliver much of the teaching of Scripture verse by verse. Okay, Expository preaching is not as common as it should be. The second reason why we believe that this is the best, the best approach to lead local churches is that it forces us as leaders to deal with hard passages in the Bible. I have experienced this personally. It is true. I don't wake up every day and say, man, I would really love to preach those warning passages in Hebrews and light them up today. I don't go that direction. That's not what I go towards. This approach makes us deal with hard passages of Scripture. And by hard passages, I mean hard to deal with, hard to hear. Passages about sin. Passages about divorce. Passages about idolatry. Okay, It makes us deal with these things. And 
it forces us to deal with passages that are just flat out hard to interpret. Okay? They're just hard to interpret. And it makes us deal with these passages. We can't just skip over them. can't just wake up one day and talk about our favorite topics all, all the time. Not everyone agrees with what I just said. Not everyone agrees with this is the healthiest way to, to lead local churches. I want to introduce you to one more guy. Secret sensitive church leader Andy Stanley. And he says, Guys that preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, that's just cheating. It's cheating because, first of all, that would be easy. And first of all, that's not how you grow people. That's what the man said. And just, if you want my honest opinion, you know, what I honestly think, that man couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. When he stands up and speaks for Jesus, there's no power, there's no authority, there's no exaltation of Christ. He says, with confidence, with worldly confidence, that is not how you grow people. Well, let's, let's appeal to Charles Spurgeon. Andy Stanley says that Bible expositors are lazy. Charles Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers. And here's what he said. In order to execute well, the expositor will have to study twice as much as the mere preacher. Charles Spurgeon doesn't think it's lazy. Andy Stanley thinks it's lazy and easy. Alright, let's dive into verse 13. And let's put some meat on this with the biblical text. In verse in verse 13, Paul commands Timothy and church leaders to devote themselves to expositional preaching. Exposing the Word of God to the church. Faithfully handling the Bible and speaking for God. And the first thing he says, he says, devote yourself. That word is in the present tense, continuous. And what that means is that this is a way of life for a church leader. This is not a one-hour activity on Sunday. This is a way of life. The man is devoted to these things. He eats, sleeps, and breathes the ministry of the Word of God. He's absorbed in them. He's consumed by these things. It is a total life commitment to preach the Word of God to the church. It's to happen with laser beam focus. Nothing is to take Timothy's attention away from these things. Devote yourself to these things. Don't let anything distract you from them. In verse 14, Paul tells Timothy, Do not neglect this gift that you have been given. It would be a sin for Timothy to, ne to neglect this teaching gift that he's been given. And then in verse 15, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, Practice these things. And then he looks at this young preacher and he says, Immerse yourself in these. It literally means to be in them. What would it look like for a leader in a local church to be almost baptized, submerged in the public ministry of the Word of God? It's not a little deal. It is a massive, huge deal. It's important to God. This is a commandment. He is to, he is to devote Himself to the public ministry of the Word of God. John MacArthur. This man has preached through, verse by verse, through every single book in the New Testament. I know almost no other preacher that could say that. Okay, 
He has done what we're talking about through every book in the New Testament. And here's what he says. He says it always takes him about 15 hours each week to put together a one hour expository message. And he always says that it took him longer earlier in his ministry. Now, John MacArthur, that doesn't sound lazy to me. That doesn't sound easy to me. That Andy Stanley doesn't sound right to me. It sounds like the man is working, that the man is laboring, devoted to the Word of God. And what I want you to know, as members of this church, there is a lot of time that goes into what me and Ryan do every single week. There's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of study. There's a lot of crying out to God. God, how can I encourage my brothers and sisters with this passage of Scripture, Lord? God, would you, would you teach us the things of Christ? Would you, would you exalt Christ in our midst? There's a lot of time that goes into this work week after week after week. And here's what I want you to know. That is exactly what you should demand of me and Ryan as your church leaders. You should demand that we be devoted to these things, submerged in these things, consumed with preaching the Word of God. No matter where you land on planet earth in a local church, you should demand that your church leaders submerge themselves in the public preaching of the Word of God. Now, there are three ways that Paul commands Timothy for this to happen. Okay? He's to devote himself to the reading. He's to devote himself to the teaching and the exhortation. Let's take reading first. First, Timothy... It's to devote himself to the reading. Not just reading books by himself. The reading. When he stands before the church and reads the Word of God. My translation translates this verse as the public reading of Scripture. And that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 8. This practice is rooted in the Old Testament. This is nothing new for Timothy. He's just carrying on the faithful baton of men of God. Nehemiah 8 verse 8 says, They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Same Greek word in the Greek Old Testament known as the Septuagint. This is the same thing. The public reading of Scripture. This practice is rooted in the Old Testament. But when you see the New Testament, it's rooted in the synagogue tradition. And you see this in Acts 15, verse 21. This is in the time of the apostles, in the time of Jesus. It says this, From ancient generations, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim Him then it says this, For He is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Same Greek word. That's the kind of reading that Timothy is to devote himself to. The public reading of the Word of God. Jesus did this in Luke 4. Listen to this. Luke 4.16 Jesus came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. And as was His custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and He stood up to read. To read. Jesus did this. Okay, The synagogues were rooted in this tradition. And then Paul turns to Timothy and he says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. This same tradition that was rooted in the Old Testament, 
that was practiced in the synagogues, that Jesus practiced, was re it was rooted in the early Christian church. It's commanded. Read the Word of God. So I want to encourage you. Okay, Do not downplay this when the Word of God is read publicly in the church. And I try to remind you of this often. I'll stand up here and I'll say, the most important words you hear today are the words that I'm going to read straight off the page. They're hot from the mouth of God, without error. Okay, Don't grow numb to that. All right, But I want, I want to drill this down in your soul. Why? Why read the Word of God publicly? Why are we doing this? The primary reason for why the Word of God is publicly read is it lays the framework for the teaching and the exhortation that immediately follows. And what this means is that it sets the stage that a man's about to stand up and he's not going to give you a lecture. He's about to speak for God. Everything that he's about to say is supposed to be rooted in what just got read. Okay? So when the church hears the word read publicly, they're supposed to prepare to hear from God. Lord, help me to hear your word. Help me to sort out any error. Help me to hear from you, Lord. And this ought to be happening in your prayer life. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday morning when you come to this place. Lord Jesus, let there be power in your house. Come speak to your church today. We gather in vain if you don't speak to us, Lord, from your word. This sets the stage for this type of authoritative teaching. Teaching the Bible always begins with reading the Bible. Okay, You need to know that the teaching that you are hearing somebody give is rooted in, in text of Scripture. Okay, Text of Scripture. Timothy was to devote himself to the... Reading, and then we're going to go to the teaching. Timothy, devote yourself to the teaching. And what this means, it is not enough for you to stand in front of the church as a church leader and read to them. Okay, The Word of God must be explained to the people of God. You say, what do you mean? Well, we have to, we have to help people understand the glories of what is happening in the Word of God. We need to help them to understand the logic of a passage. How does this thing flow? What does this mean because of what's said before it? What is the main point of this text? How does this passage of Scripture relate to all the other doctrines in the Bible? What is this passage of Scripture? How does it relate to this book of the Bible? What about the whole Bible? How does this passage of Scripture relate to the whole Bible? The Bible needs to be taught. Ryan talked about earlier that there's unsearchable riches that we have been given in Christ. And this is like the treasure trove, the gold mine. These things have to be unearthed and explained to the church. This is God's plan. Okay, This is His command. If this doesn't happen, there's disobedience to God in the church. The Scripture must be taught. And this is a powerful thing. This is a God-ordained means to open and blind eyes to the glory of Christ. To bring in immature Christians into maturity, into obedience to Jesus. Listen to this verse. I pray this a lot when I teach the Word. This is an encouragement to me. Psalm 119, 130. So simple. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. So I want to come to God with faith that 
We stand in this place and speak for Christ. And we want to come, we want to unfold the Word and unfold the Word. And as we do that, God is faithful to do what? To give light and to bring the simple into maturity. This is how it's done. This is how it's always been done. Okay? This is the exact pattern that we see in the Old Testament. Read the text, explain the text. Nehemiah 8, verse 8, I'll read it again. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And then what they do? And then they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Okay? This is exactly what Jesus did that day in the synagogue in Luke 4. Listen to this. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him and began to say to them, He began to say to them, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He read the Bible and then He told them what it meant. He interpreted it to them. Jesus did that. Now, we don't do that. We don't do that the exact same way that Jesus did. In other words, I don't read a passage of Scripture and then look at you in the face and say, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. I just fulfilled it. Okay? In fact, if anybody does that, you need to be the first one hitting the door on the way out of the back of the church. But the thing that we do do is Jesus explained. He read it and He explained it. He read it and He explained it. Teaching the Bible is dealing with it seriously. Okay? Beware of pseudo-Bible preaching okay? that talks about verses and they never dig in and tell you what anything means. Okay? They do it in such a safe way that they got hot air coming out of their mouth, but they're saying nothing. Okay? Superficial Bible preaching. Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. This is the careful teaching of the Word of God. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 9 and 10. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he spoke words of truth. Do you see how careful that man is with the Word of God? He's dealing with it seriously. Nothing about what we just read sounds, sounds lazy or easy to me. This man is dealing seriously with the Bible. He's explaining what it means. And when a man teaches the church like that, when he opens his mouth and speaks like that for Christ, his teaching, praise God that his teaching is not heard by the people of God as the Word of man. It is a miracle that happens week after week after week that His teaching is heard as the words of the living God Himself. That's the authority that the Word of God is to come to the church with. Serious teaching of the Word of God. Our job week in and the week out is to give you Bible, to read it and to explain it. But it doesn't stop there. Okay, one more thing. Timothy is to devote himself to the exhortation. The exhortation. I've been fired up about this all week long. I'm fired up about this. This is a powerful thing to me, for me to grab a hold of. And the way that God has designed His church and the way that this teaching functions. Here's what I mean. For a man to stand in front of the church and tell you truth from the Bible is not enough. It is not enough for everything that someone says to be true. Okay? 
Our job as church leaders is not merely to inform your mind and leave your hearts unaffected towards Christ. That is not our job. 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us our job. This is our marching orders. The aim of our charge is love. That's what we're after every time we open our mouths for the Lord Jesus. Not that we're trying... That verse does not say the aim of our teaching, what we're really after, is that you would be better Bible students. No, it takes it a step further than that. We're opening our mouths in the power of the Spirit of God, standing in the place of King Jesus, and we are preaching the Word of God in such a way that you would love God more after we finish than before we started. That you would love your neighbor more after we finish than before we started. There's a response that we're going after. That response is called the exhortation. The exhortation. We are commanded by God from this text to preach in such a way that pierces the heart and provokes a response. Do you see that? Do you see that? Listen to Jonathan Edwards here. Famous quote. He says, I think it is my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided that they are affected with nothing but the truth. And so we're after spurring up the people of God to love God, but the only thing that we use to provoke this response is the truth of God, the Word of God. This is the exhortation. Now, so much of this comes from the affections of the preacher, the man talking to you. Okay, And what I mean by that is we have very little hope of being used by God to provoke love and worship and adoration in your heart from that text of Scripture if that text of Scripture hasn't affected us first. We have little hope of that happening. That's why so much of this comes from the, from the affections, from passion for the Lord Jesus. Coldness, you think about this. This coldness to Christ is a sin, disgusting sin to Christ. It is not enough just for you to understand right things. You have to love them. You have to love the truth. You have to respond to the truth. You can't just know facts about Jesus. You have to lay hold of the glory of Christ. This is why me and Ryan, over and over, this has came up in the past three years. Do not read the Bible like a phone book. Don't study the Bible like a phone book. Don't talk about Jesus like you're reading a phone book. Why? Because it doesn't match. The affections don't match the message. We're not trying to just give you true information. We're trying to, make, we're trying to provoke you to love Christ. That's the exhortation. When God uses a man in your life to stir you up, that's the exhortation. That's what we're after. This word in Scripture has a rich range of meaning. You can't just tie it down to meaning one thing. It means comfort. It means comfort. What we mean by that is the exhortation is not that you walk away from every uh, teaching of the Word of God feeling slaughtered and crushed in the ground. You ought to walk away from teaching of the Word of God encouraged in Christ, reminded of all that you have in Jesus. It means comfort. It means encouragement. That you walk away from the Word of God being taught and sometimes you're ready to run through a brick wall. That ever happened to you? God uses somebody in your life to serve you the Word in such a way that you're fired up with zeal. That you're ready to serve the Lord Jesus. 
This word also means to urgently appeal for someone to do something. Okay, That is not manipulation. It can be. But if someone is using the truth of the Word of God to make you move, to make you do something, that's not manipulation. In fact, if you stand in front of the people of God and you preach in such a way where you could care less how they respond, you're not being faithful to the text of Scripture and you're not being loving to the church. And Ryan is going to hammer this next week. That one of the most common things that happens with this ministry of the Word in these settings is that this is completely divorced from the function of leaders in the church shepherding the flock. We preach, we preach to people that we love, that we care for, that we have burdens for, that we're asking God to change. This is the exhortation. There's an element of confrontation in biblical preaching. Okay? We should do more in your life than just share a few things with you. We should take God's truth and we should bring them down to bear on your heart. And that's called love. That's called love. Listen to A.W. Tozier explain this. He says, There is scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth divorced from life is not truth in the biblical sense. Theological truth is useless until it is obeyed. And then he says, the purpose behind all doctrine is to secure a response. Okay? The Word of God, uh, the teaching of the New Testament, a lot of places in the pastorals, it's called the, the doctrine that produces godliness. The doctrine that leads to godliness. Sound doctrine? Every single time. If it hits you like it's supposed to hit you, it changes you. It makes you more like Christ. And then A.W. Tozer says this. He says, I have gone to Bible classes and listened to men who were learned in the Word of God. And he says, I still came away as cold as a pickled fish. And then he says, because these men gave me the truth as if it were a scientific proposition or a math formula. And he said, and the answer was, so what? Let's go have a soda. There wasn't any confrontation. There wasn't any bringing things to bear on the soul when they spoke about the things of Jesus. And then A.W. Tozer prays, Father, forgive me for those times I have been guilty of this wrong teaching of the Word. And then he says, Send your Spirit both to embolden my preaching and to move the hearts of my hearers to action. And I just say amen to that. We never want, this is an indictment against almost the whole reformed community that holds up Bible exposition and Bible exposition. If people are not being imprinted with the truth of the Word of God, you are not doing your job. We are to devote ourselves to being a lightning rod in people's life. The exhortation. This is what we're aiming for every single time. God is glorified, not just when we understand facts about Jesus, but when we behold the glory of Christ, when we see it, when we savor it, when we respond to the things of Jesus. So we're asking God, we, this, we need this as a local church. You need this no matter where you land. You need to be exhorted. You need to be encouraged to do something, to move, to respond to the truth of the Word of God. And every single time, the man of God needs to use the Word of God to do it or it's manipulation. So this is what we're asking God to do. That God would be faithful to graciously use us as leaders in this church to do this. 
to be used in your life in this way. Okay? Exhortation. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 11 says this. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And I want to close with this thought. Okay? I want to remind you of something. Those goads are what we're going after. We want to be used by God as goads in your life. Using the Word of God to prod you along to be more like Jesus. And I want you to think about this. Every single time that that has happened in your life, every time you have been encouraged, every time that you had your face lifted to the heavens, every time you have been rebuked and admonished through the preaching of the Word of God, every time you have been reminded of the glory of Jesus, you know where that came from? One shepherd. One shepherd feeds his sheep through the leaders of the church. And I just want to encourage you with this. When that happens in your life, that is evidence of the grace of God at work in this church. And we praise God for that. Jesus is the one that walks among the lampstands. He's not this historical idea. He is the living Christ and the living God. And every time that that happens, Jesus is being the chief shepherd of His church. And what I mean by that is when God uses leaders in your life in that way, you know what the, one of the first things we're tempted to do is? Lean against them. Exalt them. And what I want to encourage you to do is every time a man of God is used this way in your life, that you don't exalt that man. That is inappropriate. Okay? Your, your response to the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming through that man is to praise the chief shepherd, the one who worked through that man, the Christ who is working through that man. There is no place at this church or any church for the exaltation of church leaders. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He gets all the glory in the church that He leads. Okay, So we praise God for this because we have experienced help from Jesus in this church. He's helping us. We're not perfect. In fact, later on in uh, 1 Timothy 4, um, Paul tells Timothy, he says, let all see your progress. What does that mean? That means a preacher is not perfect. He's supposed to aim for growth. If he was perfect, there would be no, no room for progress. And so we can trust God that over the long haul, we come and we preach the Word of God and we pray and we ask for God for help. He will give us discernible growth, discernible progress that all could see. Okay, That we could see the hand of God at work in His church. And He's done that. He's helped us. He's helped us to preach the Word. He's helped us as a church to grow in our knowledge of God. We know things about Jesus. We're growing in our knowledge of God and grabbing a hold of the glories of Jesus. And this is just a very small piece of Jesus at work in His church. He deserves all the praise and all the glory. And we, we can trust Him to do this until they put us in the ground. Okay? He's going to use those who lean against Him and preach His Word. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Son of God will slaughter for us. How small of a thing is it for us to ask the Lord, Lord, help us to understand Your Word rightly. Or, or, or answer Jeremiah 3.15 in this church. Do this, Lord. Jeremiah 3.15 And I will give shepherds 
after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Promise from God. And we say, Lord Jesus, do it for your glory. Exalt no one but yourself. Give us shepherds after your own heart that your church will be fed with knowledge and understanding. We just pray. We pray that God would help us to be faithful to this type of preaching ministry at this church. Okay? So I want to close with, with three points of application real fast. How can you respond to what we just read? How can you respond? Number one, as a member of this church, how serious do you take the teaching that is given to you in the Sunday gathering? How serious do you take that? If you're a parent, and, you're, and say you're a parent of a teenager, and, and, and say you have some burden on your soul that you want to speak to your son about, and you fast and you pray for ten days, you're crying out to God, God, help me to speak this hard truth to my son. Help him, Lord, to render his attention to what I have to say. What you want after you labor in prayer, what you're asking for, is that that moment would come where you get to speak to your son and he's leaned in, eager to hear what you have to say. Okay? You are being served week by week by week by church leaders who have spent much time with God and in His Word preparing to serve you with His Word. How serious are you taking it? How serious are you taking this? Are you a hearer of the Word of God? Or do you hear and do the Word of God? So here's some practical things. Do you pray over these messages? Do you pray over them? Or as soon as we're done, are you done with it? Do you talk about them with other people in the body, with your spouse, with your children? Do you make a point to dialogue about these things? We give you sermon notes every week, have since the church started. Do you use them? Do you go back and study things that we've looked at? Are you making use of the Sunday morning teaching? Number two, I want you to leave this place with a grid Using verse 13 as a grid to how to evaluate. How do you know? How do you know if you heard a good sermon? It's a popular thing in our culture. You know, to sit down at a restaurant and say, you know, I, maybe an aunt says, man, a preacher preached a good one this morning. How do you know if he did? How do you know if a sermon is good? It's not good just because somebody says it was good. And I'm submitting to you that this is the grid of how you can know. Number one, a sermon is not good unless you can tie it directly back to the Bible. Devote yourself to the reading. Okay? What are you getting at there, Dustin? I'm getting at this. Man, the preacher, that's such a good sermon today. Oh, yeah? Oh, what you, what'd you talk about? Oh, we talked about uh, being bold for the Lord. Okay? What, what Bible passage did you talk about? Well, you know, there's several of them. I, I, don't, I don't really remember. That's a misfire, okay? If, 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 if that sermon is so good and he can't root it back to specific texts of Scripture, that man or that woman has been affected by the words of men, not the words of God. Okay? This is the grid. Number two, devote yourself to the teaching. To the teaching. A good sermon is not good just because somebody threw a few zingers in there and somebody told a really funny joke. Okay? That does not make a sermon good just because there's a memorable statement in it or somebody's points or five points of alliteration. Okay? That makes, that's another bar from my mouth. Okay? 
Um, it doesn't make a sermon good just because you remember something. What makes a sermon good is that someone deals seriously and faithfully with the Word of God. Was the Bible rightly interpreted? A sermon is not good if somebody's going around saying, I'm going to roll these stones away just like the angel was rolling those stones away. God's just going to roll these stones away from my life. That is not a good sermon because the Bible was not faithfully interpreted. Number three, give yourself to the exhortation. A sermon was not good just because you learned something that you did not know. Okay? We are to devote ourselves to provoking a response. What did that thing that you didn't know about Jesus, what did that do that struck you in your soul that made you love your Savior more and behold His glory more? That's how you know a sermon is good when these pictures are there. Okay? This is how we evaluate these things. Not just by what we feel. Number three. If you are in this room and you are a man that feels the call of God on your life to minister the Word of God, I want to encourage you. Last thing I'm going to say. I want to encourage you that you take verse 13 and you make it like a pattern to wrap your entire life around. And I just want to encourage you as a brother in your life that you would devote yourself to these things. That you would pursue these things with such an intensity in your life that you would allow nothing to get away from accomplishing what God has called you to do with His Word. We want to see, we've prayed this for years, we want to see many Bible preachers raised up out of this church to be sent out to, to plant churches, to preach the Word among the nations. This is what we're going after. This is how you know that you've responded to this. There's a takeaway. Alright, let's pray. Before I say this, after I pray and after we sing, we're going to have a chance to pray for MJ. It's his last Sunday here. If you're here today and you need to leave, you're more than welcome to leave. But we're going to gather up and we're going to pray over him right after we sing. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for your word. And we ask, God, that You would bless it, Lord. We ask, Lord, that You would sift it. Sift that teaching of anything of man, Lord. Sift that teaching of any error, anything that was said wrongly. And God, we pray, Lord, that Your truth would fall on the hearts and minds of Your disciples. Lord, help us to be a faithful witness in the middle of this generation to speak Your truth, Lord. God, I pray that You would raise up this church to do that. In Jesus' name, Amen.